Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Tara, reminding us of that, and Rachel and Vicki, bringing to our minds our great Savior, His greatness, and giving us an insight into to Mary as she pondered that in her heart. If you've not been with us over the last uh, number of weeks, we've been in a series. We've entitled this series, Grow. Uh, very simply, it's a study of what happens in a believer's heart and life, the characteristics of what God is doing um, in the heart and how a believer changes as he or she grows in becoming more and more Christ-like. And we've looked at several things, and we've seen over the, the last number of weeks that we are to indeed worship God, to be active in holiness, in gathering together, in giving in serving and loving one another and being humble, the characteristics of thankfulness in the heart and life and that we are to be telling, telling others of Jesus and we are to make disciples and to be in our lives discipling others and being discipled. All with a goal of being more and more like Christ. Every day, becoming more like Him for He indeed is our Savior. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and when you've found it, look up this way and we'll pray and ask God's help to understand His Word today. Matthew 6, we'll begin reading in 19, so you can have your finger there. All right, let's pray. Gracious God, in Your presence today we come needing Your grace and Your strength. We do need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us understand Your Word today. That as I open, would You make it clear. Father, I pray that You'd help me to be able to communicate in such a way that would bring the Word of God in vivid light for us. Father, my words are not important, but Your Word's eternal forever settled, and it must be what changes our hearts to be more like Christ. And so today, may we be obedient to your word. Oh God, we thank you for our salvation, for the great redemption you have given to us. May we as thankful people love you with all of our hearts and seek to make you first in our lives. It's in Christ I pray. Amen. Unless you're an art historian, you probably don't know this name, but there's a man named uh, Adolf Menzel. And he was of the last, um, well, the end of the 19th century, the very beginning. He died in 1905, the 20th century. And he was one of the German masters. In fact, Degas in his time, Degas said that Menzel was probably the, the greatest living artist at his time. Uh, which is a great uh, compliment from Degas. He was known for his realism and for his painting and the various aspects of German history. And, uh, but as, as, as many artists, there were paintings left undone at his death. There were paintings that weren't finished. And we see here a painting of one Frederick the Great as Frederick the Great addresses his generals before a battle in 1757. In fact, this Frederick the Great was often a um, 
a subject of Menzel's paintings. And so we have this, this painting here with uh, the scenery painted, many of the generals painted, but there's one person missing, and that is indeed Alfred, uh, Frederick the Great himself. He left off to last the most important person of the painting. And so as he died, this painting was left without the subject of the painting in the painting. Kind of interesting because there are some parallels with sometimes how we live the Christian life. In many cases, Christians and the paintings of their life neglect the most important one. We neglect the Savior that redeemed us. We paint everything else in, the scenery, the background of our life, the, the people we love and are dear, we invest time in that, but we leave out the most important one who, as a believer, the one who's redeemed us, our Savior. We give other things careful attention we, we paint the fine details, but we leave out Christ. And so we stagnate, we stagnate and we don't grow as a, as a believer. We don't take the necessary steps because we get distracted by the things of life, good things often, but we are distracted by many things and we leave out the most important figure in our life. And this, the next in our series of Grow, is this word, prioritize. As a verb, prioritize. We're going to see this morning through Scripture, in just a few passages of what God has, has given to us in His Word, how that our priorities, our prior, main priority, must be God. It must be Jesus Christ, our Savior. If indeed we are... are we call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, if indeed we are disciples, as we talked about last week, we must take the action of prioritizing. So what does it mean to prioritize? Well, it's to designate or treat something or someone as being very or most important. Uh, we think of it as ordering a series of items according to their importance. Prioritizing. So we're called as believers to prioritize. So, so where in Scripture do we find this? Matthew 16. Matthew 16, turn there. As we begin in the passage of uh, Matthew 6, sorry, not 16, Matthew 6. As we begin the passage of verse 19, we, we, find, uh, we find Jesus taking uh, an interesting tact here. In verse 19, it says, Do not store up or stockpile for yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust does destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus says, Don't take the time to stockpile and store up things that are going to burn up. Okay? That, that will become moth eaten, that will rust and will destroy, or things where we think we're secure, we have it all locked up, but someone can break in and steal. What's he talking about? He's, uh, he's prioritizing. He said, but instead, store up, stockpile for yourself, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys you, where thieves do not break in or steal. Why would that be? For 
where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Jesus, as he begins this passage, says, your heart follows what you value. You, your heart follows what you stockpile. And if you're going to stockpile and store up things that will burn up eventually, will be destroyed, can be stolen from you, your heart will be all set on those things. And you'll come to the end of your life and you will have found that your life is worthless. What you save, what you spend great devotion and time on, that's where your heart goes. He says, but, for your heart will be there also, verse 22. This is kind of interesting because he, it seems very poetic and kind of, um, well, Jesus sometimes uses parables to obscure. It's almost obscuring, but, but understand what he's doing here. He's talking about the eye of seeing and of clear sight and how the eye lets in light and if the eye is bad. So verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so that if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If in the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is he talking about? Well, it's kind of a metaphor of what, of what you allow in and what you dwell on and, and the lens in which you see the things and you value things. He moves on. For no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And Jesus, as he often does, takes it from... Um, a simple statement, and he gets really serious and gets down into our lives. And he, he has a binary choice here. It's a one or a zero, okay? It's the, the switch is on or off. You cannot serve God and wealth. If you'll either serve God or you'll serve your wealth, your possession, or your stuff. There is no middle ground. So, well, I think I can do that. And Jesus said no. Jesus said no, but, but, but Stacey, I really think that I can do both. I can love God and serve Him, and I also can... No, you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with Jesus here. So, with that, he says, for this is the reason I say, don't, do not be worried about your life. And he goes on, he said, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, what you'll wear, those things of life, don't be worried Because you'd say, okay, well, if I'm not stockpiling, if I'm not saving, and and Jesus is not talking about good stewardship here. Remember, he's talking about where the heart goes. He said, but I would be thinking, but what if I have to? I mean, I have to have some wealth because I have to eat. Maybe not as much, but I have to eat. Um, I have to drink. I have to have clothes to wear. And he says this, the question that many of us ask, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Have you ever been a point, you say, what's life all about? What is this all about? I'm discouraged. I don't understand God. And we think, and often those times, we, we have been denied something that we want, that we think that we ought to have. And you say, what's life about if I can't have this? And Jesus said, is not life more than food or body, uh, body more than clothing? Hey, isn't life more than this? Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. 
They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? As he's speaking this, Jesus is on, 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 a, on a hill, basically we call this the, the Mount of Beatitudes, but it's sloping up from the Sea of Galilee. And so you have all, everything that, that, a, that, a, that a lake has. Okay? You have birds, you have animals, and come near the water. And so... I can, in my mind's eye, imagine him, him looking over. See the birds? You know, I haven't seen him out on a, behind a, a mule on a plow. I don't see that happening. Um, I don't see how they're doing all of this. And he, and he goes on. He says, Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add time to your life? A single hour, let alone a day or a week or a year. Can you, by, be, by being very worried, can you... Can you add something to it? Obviously, no. 28, and then why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies. So Jesus is delving deep into to object lessons for them. The lilies of the field, they grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet, yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. They're beautiful. More beautiful than Solomon and all of his grandeur. More than anything else, they are beautiful. And the unspoken message behind this, who did this? God. Verse 30, But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into a furnace, and will burn up, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? Don't worry about those things. And then he says something that to a Jew would have been very rude. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Okay? Don't compare a Jew to a Gentile. The Gentile dogs, no. He said, you're being like the Gentiles because they seek after those things. They pursue those things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all things. And look at the great contrast. He's saying, when you worry and you fret and you stockpile those things, the stuff of life, you, you have no faith in who God is. And in fact, in, I'll put it this way, you don't understand who your heavenly Father is because you know from the Scripture, he's talking to Jews, okay? He, they know the Scripture have been taught orally since birth. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. You need not go but very far in the Jewish history and see God providing manna, rescuing them from the land of Egypt. Every judge that comes through after sin, God supplied. And God continues in their lives, uh, the life of the Jewish people, to know exactly what they need. And when they return and follow God, providing them with what they need, often in great abundance, He knows what See, we, we tell ourselves, God doesn't know what I need. He's forgotten me. I've got to worry about these things. I've got to figure because, because maybe God just doesn't want me or, or He doesn't see who I am and he can't give, or He can't give me those things. These are the lies that we tell ourselves. But let's bring it down to His real point. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first 
seek first. This is first, not in time, but in priority. In priority of life, seek first. In ordering your priorities, God comes first. And he says here, it's God's kingdom. The kingdom work that God is doing. And here on this side of the cross, this is how he is filling his his kingdom with people coming to know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. The work of the gospel. Seek first gospel kingdom work. Seek that, make that that your priority in your life, that you are seeking God's kingdom to be furthered, to grow by life on life on life, soul after soul after soul. Seek that first. And seek His righteousness. This is, obviously, by seeking righteousness, it's not that we are righteous, that we because of our greatness and our goodness, earn anything as salvation. That is not how salvation is earned. In fact, we cannot earn salvation by any stretch of the imagination of our own heart. We can't do enough things to our body. We can't raise enough money. We can't be good enough. That's why it's the free gift of salvation by God's grace. But here, God's righteousness are those things that God has set forward in His word of what is right. So the priority is to to live in right conduct that would bring attention to God because God is the first priority. Not to earn, but because God is priority, then I will do those things which are right in my conduct. Because God's first. God is first. Seek first gospel, kingdom work, and right conduct of life. Seek first. I love this. He said, it's almost a throwaway phrase. It's not because Jesus is, is very intentional in what he's saying. And, but all of these things, all the stuff will be added to you. The things that you need, God knows that you need them and he'll take care of them. But you seek first. So number one, we have to understand this. We are to prioritize God first with our possessions. Almost said stuff. This seemed a little too informal. Not that I'm really formal, but but your possessions, the stuff of life. And wow, is this ever hard? Because stuff, things, possessions have a great draw upon us all. Even if we don't have much. What we do have, we value, and we place an inordinate amount of attention and detail on that. We worry about things. We take our cares. And Jesus said, priority number one is the gospel work that I am doing and I have called you to do in living holy. That is priority number one. God knows what you need. God knows everything that you need. All of these things. Believer, I want to challenge you this morning to prioritize the things of earth in your life. Put them in their proper place. And that would be after God. 
The emphasis of this is set upon the, the care of the Heavenly Father. If we have the view of God the Father as He has shown Himself in His Word, if we see God as who He is, then we will not be concerned and worried about those things because we know He's faithful and we can trust Him. And it is indeed the eye of faith that allows us to depend upon Him and not to worry about the things that we think we need or the things that we actually need. But we struggle with that. We struggle with believing that God is who He said He is and He will do what He said He will do. I love um, the life story of George Mueller. Humble pastor. In the course of his life, he fed over 10,024 orphans. Five orphan houses that he... uh, he started and, and maintained. In fact, the part, uh, part of the reason he started uh, feeding the orphans, wa- he did so without telling people the needs that he had. He did so, instead of going out and, and doing a lot of um, publicizing of what he needed, because he wanted people to understand that God would take care of those who were serving him prioritized and said he, he, dem- he wanted to demonstrate the fact that God is faithful to his word and would provide. And he said uh, in his autobiography, he said he believed that every believer had what he called the grace of faith. Um, he said some, there's a gift of faith. He said maybe he had it five times to, as he prayed, he was assured that God was going to give him what he was praying for. But he said every believer has the grace of faith, that, that God gives us the grace to believe God's Word, and that we would pray, and in God's will and His timing, He would answer those prayers. And he spoke of it like this. He said in his words here, The grace of faith is needed to believe that the Lord will give me the necessaries of life if I first seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. For there is a promise to that effect. I love how he writes. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, there is a promise in God's Word. You and I have been given the ability. God gives grace. He gives faith to us to believe Him. But we, we must indeed exercise that faith. And this comes when we prioritize God at first in our life. We place the work that He is doing. We will never in our possessions have what we think we will need. We'll always want more. And indeed, we will often need more because we have not prioritized God as first in our lives. And I wonder, do you prioritize Him as first? The things of God more than money or stuff. There's another area. I can't go through them all this morning. But there's one other area that I think hits home for us as 20 first century believers. An area that which we struggle with. Turn to Ephesians 5. Two verses in Ephesians 5 that convict me just about every time I read them. Five fifteen. Paul 
Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. And he says these words, Therefore, be careful how you walk. And now, for, for Paul, euphemism to walk is how you live. Like walking through life, that idea. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. He says, I want you to be careful. Walk as wise. Walk wisely, not, not unwisely. Making the most of your time because the days of evil are evil. You see, the wise, the wise person, first of all, walks carefully in this passage. He's careful how he lives, but the wise person also, the more importantly for our study this morning, redeems the time. And this is the word that is used, meaning to buy back the time. Making the most of, it really is, in the Greek is to, to buy it back, to redeem the time back. We, have, we all have the same amount of time. We choose how we fill up that time. Sometimes, wow, I wish I had more time. Well, you have as much as anyone else, but it's how you choose to use it. Redeeming the time. Be wise. The second area that we must prioritize, not only money and stuff, but this area of time. Of time. It's your work, your school, time with friends, time at home. Stacy, how do I redeem my time? I'm in a dead-end job. Redeem the time while you're there. The interaction with the boss that hates you. For them to see someone who's a believer, who responds in a joyful and peaceful way in the face of anger is remarkable in our day and age. Co-workers, to see that you're redeeming the time with them and caring for them. See, God knows where we are. He's indeed placed us there. Redeem the time. So what is the best use of our time? And obviously there are many evil, ethically, morally wrong things in which to spend our time, which would be obviously condemned. And so, for that, there, there are things that we automatically catalog in times, okay, I shouldn't do this, shouldn't do that. No, these are morally, ethically wrong against God's law. Okay. Understandable. If you have problems with those, then confession and taking care of them. What about the other parts of our time? The time that there isn't necessarily an injunction There are many things that wouldn't come under the category of morally or ethically wrong in which we spend our time. Things that we do each and every day. How do I make the best use of that time? How do we make the best use of that time? Well, the Scripture says if we are wise, we will do so. God does not say that every use of time that's not specifically gospel-focused is wrong. However, we are told to prioritize and be wise with the time. Our choices, some choices we consider neutral, and yet we give them a lot of emphasis. We give them a lot of priority in our lives. Some things are good, uh, Physical exercise is good. 
Paul says it profits a little. You say, well, I have a, I, I, I play soccer, I have baseball, basketball, volleyball, whatever, and I, I do so and I interact with the people on my team and I, I encourage them. That would be prioritizing God if you're using that time for a gospel focus more than that activity. And so it changes how we play that activity, doesn't it? We no longer get mad because they're watching us as a believer, as a Christian, even when we're fouled grossly. Whatever gross foul looks like. It changes our perspective. It changes how we live. I love golf. I don't play as much as I used to. I'm up. Unfortunately, marking it changes for me. But I'm, I'm once a year. I've got to do something. And but I, but I, I've never played golf alone because those are like four and a half hours of captive time with, with someone. Okay? <laughs> and, you know, I can bring them the point of conviction the way I drive my cart. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not that I'm not comfortable playing by myself, although I, I probably don't want people to see some of my golf shots or, or many of my golf shots. You know, they kind of... Never straight. They're kind of <laughs> duck. You know, the houses are always in play. Um, it's a platform, and you, God, may have given you platforms for spending your time, but it's not for the mere enjoyment of those things. Jesus, as he walked on earth, literally walked on earth with his disciples. Yes, they had a goal to get to the next city, the next village. He used that time. He used the birds around him, the sea, sailing. He made use of that because he prioritized the will of the Father for himself. You and I have lots of time. We don't think we do, but we have lots of time. How do we spend it? How do we spend it? When you meet that friend for coffee, is it just for coffee? What? What direction does your conversation take? Do you ask that person, how's your walk with God? Do you share with that person how God has convicted you and how God is challenging you? Time well spent. It's a priority. Do you bow and pray in a coffee shop or a restaurant for each other and with each other? Oh, it's a little embarrassing. Hmm. Hmm. Not ashamed of Jesus? Well, are you ashamed of Jesus? Evaluate your priorities. Place God first in your time. It's interesting that we believers struggle with our priorities. And when they're out of phase, we struggle even more. Um... It's interesting that when we struggle with this, this idea of, of, of what God presents for us as our priorities of seeking Him first, we, we ask ourselves questions. We, we begin to question who we are. Who, who am I, my identity in life? What is it that I, I'm here for? How do I fit into life? Okay? If our priorities are out of whack, if they're out of phase, we, we wonder, where do I fit in? Or what is my purpose and mission in life? What, you know, what is it? And we begin to struggle with that as believers. And it's directly related to our relationship and our priorities of putting God first. 
Our struggle is that when we fail to see ourselves as a child of God, one who has been blood-bought and the grace of God has been shed upon us, if we fail to, to remember that and to see that, then we do ask who we are. But when we remember that we are God's, we know that we are His child, that He has loved us with an everlasting love, and He has ushered us into His family, and He, has, he is waiting for us to come and be with Him in heaven, and He's given us a mission and a purpose to do right here, right now in our lives. He's given us Himself as priority. So the questions fade of life. Why am I here? Where do I fit in? Because we know we are God's child. And He's given us our place in life. But if we don't, we lose clarity. We lose clarity. Um, I was in a conversation recently with a, with a friend. Someone I've been praying uh, with and for for many years to receive Christ. And in the conversation, he made a point to tell me of an, ex- of an experience that he had with a mutual friend um, who was upset with him over a perceived wrong. And the situation centered around the first individual selling the second individual an object, an item. And um, when he sold that item to them, there was proper disclosure of the repairs being done to that item. And the original owner thought, the one who unbeliever thought that everything was fixed on it and uh, when the second owner got it there were more things that came to light and he told me that the second guy called him and um, and I quote he said there was anger in his voice he said there was anger in his voice and he was angry over the money that he had to spend to repair this item and um, not quite but you know the insinuation was you didn't, you didn't fully disclose everything. And this second Christian brother was angry over losing money. I thought he had been perceived, uh, he had, it was a perceived wrong. And all I could say was I, was, I was sorry. My first friend knows that I'm a believer. And he knows the second one is a believer. And the reason he told me the story, I feel quite sure, is that he wanted me to know that the second person who is a believer didn't really act like a believer in that instant. Money became more important than the eternal soul. But, but before we're too quick in condemning that second individual, I wonder how often when we are wronged, we get all up in arms you didn't pay me exactly what you should have paid me. You did me wrong. You frauded me out of this. See, something happens when our priorities are out of, out of whack. We begin to think of terms of our money, our things, our time. Instead of indeed, indeed the Christ's money, Christ's stuff. Christ's time. And when we don't see Christ as magnificent, as wonderful in His redemption of us, how He bought us back, how He redeemed us when we are wretched and poor and lost, 
If we don't see him that way, then we'll not place him first. But when we understand how glorious our Savior is, how wonderful the salvation that he has given to us, things, stuff, our time begins to pale. Our feelings are no longer important. Eternal souls is what is important. God's glory is what is important. When a believer grows, he begins to prioritize. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. It's about for prayer. Gracious God, by your mercy and by your strength, Lord, each one of us have in our own ways, in our own times, over and over again, have failed to seek you first. And, oh God, I pray that you would, by your mercies you have promised, forgive us. We can make the excuse that we are but human, but then we overlook that you are more than powerful enough to give us grace and strength to seek you. And so, God, would you forgive? And, Father, may we experience the joy, the peace, and indeed even the purpose of our lives as we put you first. Father, may we who call the name of Jesus be gospel-focused in taking the great good news of the gospel to those who have not heard. May we love them as Jesus loves them. May we care for them. May we overlook any slights or hurts or wrongs that we might point them to Jesus. And oh, Lord, by our lives, may we live in such a way that is holy, not to, to be spiritually pious, but that no one would see anything that would cause any ill reflection upon Jesus. That they would see that Jesus has made an impact in our lives, that we live holy because of Him, not because of our own strength, but because He is so worth our full lives. Oh God, may we prioritize and place you first in everything. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.